This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast, episode number 103, How to Run a Profitable Business. From the nation's heartland, this is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa. Thank you, Elise, and welcome into the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. I'm Jim Raposa. Hey, listen, I don't want you to listen to this episode of the show, not even for a second. Just stop and go back if you want to run a business that makes no money, that absolutely co ops and corrupts your time makes life miserable for you if you want to run a business where your customers tell you when you're going to get paid and how much you're going to get paid yeah yeah that's what i'm talking about you want the opposite of that don't you well then maybe you should keep listening because we got a special guest today who is going to share with you some things that will help turn on a few light bulbs in your business life and your personal life, probably, and help you, uh, well, not get pushed around. You're going to find out how to get paid, uh, how to get paid what you want to get paid, and when you're going to get paid, how to get deposits, everything. How to run a profitable business. Business consultant Tom Grandy is hanging on the line, and we're going to check in with Tom in just a little bit. Tom is a unique fellow. He shows business owners how to actually run a business. And as we discuss things, you're probably going to hear Tom talk an awful lot about contractors, since that is mostly the clientele that he talks to. But I guarantee everything this man, and he is a very smart man, everything Tom is going to share with you is applicable no matter what business you have, whether you have a service business, whether you're a solopreneur or you have employees, whether you sell a product, whether you sell a service. You want to hang around for today's show on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. Oh, by the way, we want to thank you very much. If you have checked us out on Facebook, we are developing our Facebook page. And uh, so that is getting going over here. And uh, some great news. Uh, Not only can you catch us on the website, streetsavvymarketer.com, you can also catch us now on iTunes. We are up and running there. Thank you very much for finding us. If you are connecting and subscribing to us on iTunes, ditto for Stitcher, Stitcher Radio. Thank you so much for finding us there. Those of you with uh, Android phones uh, or Android mobile devices, you can certainly uh, catch us there. Oh, and just before we get started recording this show, got word that we are now heard via TuneIn.com. There are actually apps on TuneIn.com, and Street Savvy Marketer is there. All you got to do is, uh, if you want to utilize any of those services, iTunes or Stitcher Radio or TuneIn.com, all you got to do is go to one of those sites and just do a search for Street Savvy Marketer, and you will find us, and we appreciate that very much. And, of course, the website is always open 24-7 for you at StreetSavvyMarketer.com. Hey, Tom Grandy hanging on the line, and we are going to get to our conversation with Tom in just seconds. Stay with us. Ideas and conversations with business and marketing experts. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Hi, I'm Joan London. When I needed to find senior care for my mom, I really struggled to find the right fit. That's why I recommend A Place for Mom, the nation's largest senior living referral service. They have experts who will help you ask the right questions and find the right place. 
Call a place for mom today. To speak with a local senior living advisor, call a place for mom at 1-800-473-7516. That's 1-800-473-7516. Call today. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Here's the Street Savvy Marketer, Jim Raposa. Okay, so you got this business and you're really excited about it. Maybe you started to think for a while, hey, the boss is no smarter than me. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to become a very wealthy individual. Well, no matter what your business is, whether you've got a product, whether you're selling a service, whether you've got employees, whether you're a solopreneur, whether you work from home, whether you work in an office, whether you have a factory, no matter what, one thing that always gets in the way is how to handle money. So how do you run a profitable business? And that's the question that we pose to today's guests here on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, Tom Grandy. Tom is the president and founder of Grandy & Associates. He has for about 30 years, I believe, or or close to it, uh, he has been providing business training uh, mostly to people in the contracting and trades industry, but he has shown them how to run a business that is fun, that is profitable, that's rewarding. He's got an awful lot of insight, and you can apply this to whatever business you might be in. Tom Grandy joins us from his office in Owensboro, Kentucky. Tom Grandy of Grandy & Associates, thanks for joining us today on the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. I appreciate that, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, share. Now, to clear the air here a bit, uh, to be somewhat transparent, this interview with Tom is uh, kind of a dual purpose for us to listen to here on the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Also, our conversation is part of an article that I wrote in uh, Pool Pro Magazine, But this is such a universal topic, Tom, and I find as a marketer and as somebody who consults with clients that especially newer businesses, uh, it's kind of easy to spot somebody who has never been in business before because they think the first thing to do is to market and they want to try and mimic a lot of the big gun advertisers that are out there, the McDonald's and, and on and on. What they really need to do is to focus on the actual infrastructure of the business. How are they going to generate revenue? How are they going to set up the systems that are going to allow them to get paid? Because without that cash flow, there is no business. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. And uh, and the, the the essence of the problem, uh, and it's pretty obvious when you think about it, uh, in the trades industry especially, uh, you know, 90, perhaps 95% of all the current owners in the entire trades industry used to be a technician. And uh, one day they just sitting out there in the field and they're thinking, my goodness, he's you know, paying me this, and he's charging this amount. And, and if I could charge the going in business for myself and charge at a high rate, I could be rich. Mm. So in essence, uh, they leave the company and they start their own with a great deal of technical experience and know exactly what to do and don't know a thing about business. And, and that puts them in a position of doing really well the first few years because they don't have any overhead and they charge about what everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they grow. And when they grow, they don't understand how to change things. And again, the lack of business that's uh, being stupid. They just not been exposed to it yet. Yeah, that's kind of where most people are coming from, and they just don't know what to do. When I talk to uh, business owners, I hear things like, "Oh God, you ought to do something about this. You ought to write something about this because people need to understand this." Or I'll hear people who it, it's not a big deal, and uh, and there are other people who say, "Yeah, I've been burned a few times, and it really stinks, and I'd like to know more about how to how to rectify this." 
now, mm-hmm. overall, when I talk to folks, I'm hearing uh, issues with cash flow and collections kind of hovering somewhere below 1%, even as high as 2%. Is there kind of an average that uh, that you found uh, on this topic where people have been burned? Uh, what kind of a percentage that equates to with their business? I don't really have a percentage per se because kind of like you, I've found them literally all over the map. Mm-hmm. If you're doing a million dollars a year, I've seen people get burned for five or ten thousand dollars, and sometimes uh, they got receivables in the hundred thousand dollars and more. Doesn't mean they won't eventually get paid, but some of it does and some of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So it strictly depends on the ability of the contractor uh, to do that. And, and the essence of the problem, and when we teach this in our seminars, the first thing I tell them: the, the main problem with collections is fear. Fear of telling the customer how you want to be paid. If you'll be crystal clear up front how you want to be paid, you know, whether you want to deposit up front or paid as soon as the thing is finished or whatever, if you'll be crystal clear on the front end, most of the collection problems go away. But contractors are notoriously concerned about upsetting the customer when they start talking about money, again, because they're not in that sphere. So they don't set specific terms on the front end. And if you don't set the terms, who does? Well, obviously, the individual does. And it's never the terms that you want. So the essence of it is fear factor, just not being crystal clear on the front end of how you want to be paid. You said that when somebody opens up a service business, for example, they're not usually business savvy as much as they are tech savvy uh, or savvy in their niche, in their in their business sector. Right. But going deeper than that, money certainly holds a significant place in our society, mm. seeing as it is such a significant aspect of our lives. It's how we keep the lights on, keep food on the table. It's how hospitals are built, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. What causes this kind of head trash in people's mind where they don't feel that they uh, should even ask for their payment or they're reluctant to ask for the payment? And how can they mitigate that? How can they kind of take that head trash to the curve and just dump it and get rid of it and and actually get into the swing of running a business the way it should be run? Uh, Well, that's a really good question. (laughs) And if I had the answer to that one, I I would sell that and we'd all make a whole bunch of money. (laughs) Uh, It's just the nature of the contractor in general. They're they're scared to talk to people about money. The only thing that motivates them to do that is when, gee, my supplier calls and says, hey, if I don't get paid pretty soon, I'm going to put your COD or cut you off. Mm. others in the same way. Yeah. Or they get in a position where they borrowed so much money on credit cards or lines of credit that they have to do something about it. Uh, so they're forced into that realm. Or if they do something, uh, you know, go to enough business programs where they understand the value of cash flow and trying to make a profit and they begin to learn the business side of the business. But again, mm-hmm. few contractors do that. Yeah, look, I know people with MBAs who uh, struggle with this, but let's say somebody really has some acumen, some street savvy, if you will, mm-hmm. on how to uh, on how to get around this. What are some easy ways in dealing with customers to make sure that you're going to get paid? I mean, how how can you kind of build a, a bit of a of a protection wall? as a business owner to make sure that when you have quoted a job, when you have accepted a job, when you've accepted the prospect of working with a particular client or customer, that there is less of a chance of getting burned and, and more of a chance of seeing your money arrive when it should. So how can folks make sure that that works as, as much like a well-oiled machine as possible? Well, it begins with sitting down as the owner and managers of the company and creating literally a collections policy for the company. Mm-hmm. How are we going to handle these things? When are we going to invoice the people? When are we going to send the follow-up information? Uh, so, you know, it starts with a collection policy, which generally should be, uh, hey, we want X amount of dollars down on the front end if it's an installation job. Uh, at the end of that job, we expect to get paid. 
we tell the customer that on the front end. If it's a service call, we ask the customer ahead of time, uh, by the way, how will you be paying? Will it be cash, credit card, or check? Uh, we don't invoice. That's the beginning of the policy. And then if you don't get paid, what happens next? Well, we send out a statement. If we don't send a statement and we still don't get paid, what happens now? Well, now we need to turn around and make a phone call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually you get somebody in the office to do that, not the owner. And they make the phone call. They document the information. Because if you ever go to small claims court, it's the one who has everything uh, documented in the middle of that process that wins the thing. And if you still don't get paid, that's when the owner makes the physical phone call. And uh, when he makes the physical phone call, he gets results that nobody else gets. But you don't want to get him involved in the front end on that unless he's a very small company. And if that doesn't work, then you're looking at a small claims court or a collections uh, agency or an attorney. Uh, but having a very clear collections policy and then everybody involved in the money end of it following that policy. What about the use of credit cards? I mean, you've got a report planning for profit that is on your website. And one of the things that you're talking about is credit cards. And I was kind of surprised to read that fewer than 20% offer their customers the option of paying by credit card. That seems like a phenomenally low number. Uh, it is, and it uh, actually it's climbed over the last few years since uh, that particular program was written. Now it's probably up closer to 50%, but it's still a, a huge number who do not accept credit cards. Mm-hmm. And, and it's suicide. I mean, uh, I experienced the same thing in my business. Uh, first few years, we've been in business 28 years. I used to send product to people and send them an invoice, and they'd say they'd pay it, and I'd believe them. And uh, obviously, that doesn't always happen. So we just <laughs> changed our policy. You pay credit card up front, or mm-hmm. we send it COD, and, and you don't get it. Yeah. And uh, again, that's part of the policy of the company. Uh, because people who use credit cards today, they don't have cash available. So uh, that's something that all contractors need to make available to their customers. So they have the ability to pay if they don't have the cash. Obviously, people using credit cards because they don't have the cash is one thing. There is certainly the convenience, and many credit card companies offer purchase protection programs. Mm-hmm. So if there's a dispute, it's an 800 number away from having somebody battle on your behalf. But you talk about in uh, planning for profit, what cards a business owner should be set up to receive and how to announce what cards they receive. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that and and why you have the theory that you do. What I suggest to contractors is you advertise that you take Visa, MasterCard, even though you physically take Discover and American Express. And the reason I say only advertise Visa, MasterCard is that the fees are a lot lower and you get your money a lot faster, generally within a day or two or three at most on Visa, MasterCard. Uh, When you get to American Express and or Discover card, you'll still get your money, but it may take up to a week or more. And the fees they charge are significantly higher. So what we do is we offer the two. And if somebody says, well, gee, all I have is American Express, that's fine. You know, we'll take that. But we just uh, promote the fact that uh, we take these MasterCard. When somebody is looking to set up a credit card account, uh, that can be a, a nightmarish situation in and of itself. What's the best way to go about setting up a credit card account? If uh, somebody is uh, turned away for setting up a uh, merchant account with uh, the bank that they do business at, uh, what what are the options aside from using one of the things like PayPal in order to uh, uh, take a credit card? The banks used to shy away from issuing credit card operation or, or methods to contractors uh, much more than I do today. 
uh, things have loosened up quite a bit. So most banks will set that up for you and work with you so you can make direct deposits. And then if you can use something like authorized.net where you can actually take the customer's credit card number, put it in in conjunction with the bank, and you can handle everything from your end and it goes directly into your account. And there's several other ones besides Authorized.net up there that, that do a similar thing, but those work really well. I uh, had spoken to a business owner recently who said that about two years ago, she uh, opened up an account with uh, SquareUp uh, for the Square Card Reader, and all mm-hmm. of their service techs, pool and spa company, all of their service techs now have the little white reader card with them mm-hmm. and they plug it into their uh, into their tablets yep. and they're swiping the cards right on the spot. Is that also a good option Absolutely. for for people? Uh, it's an excellent option I and mean, more and more and more contractors are going to that because mm-hmm. uh, it's convenient, it's easy, it's uh, the customer usually gets an email response from that uh, that shows it's gone through right away. Uh, you get your cash flow. Yeah, that's a, that's a super idea. And many, many, many companies are moving that direction. It seems to me that there are a lot of business owners, like uh, like individuals, because look, we're all human. Sometimes they will get into trouble or they will open up a line of credit and it works out okay. And then um, maybe that privilege is abused a little bit. What is the, the purpose, in your view, of a line of credit? And, and how do you use it properly, you know, without putting yourself up against a wall? Oh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, the purpose, overall purpose of a line of credit is... Uh, to borrow against receivables. What I mean by that is, uh, see, somebody owes you $25,000. You think it's going to come in this week. You get a call from them. You find out it's going to be uh, 60 days before you get paid. Well, that's when you go to your line of credit. You borrow the $25,000. You pay your suppliers on time. You take care of payroll. You do what you got to do. But when that $25,000 comes in, you pay your line of credit back to zero. That's how Mm -hmm. it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. The problem with uh, contractors is they get in the cash flow crunch that you and I are talking about right now. And gee, what's the easiest place to get some money? Well, it's my line of credit because I don't have any approval. I can just write a amount on that up to the limit that I have and nobody says boo. So we abuse it by buying more inventory or buying a vehicle or something like that. And pretty soon we're up to fifty or $75,000. Now, from a bank's perspective, the ideal customer with a line of credit has lots and lots of borrowing, but it comes back to zero at least once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. That's the ideal customer from the bank standpoint. So when they look at a contractor and he's been at fifty or $75,000 on a line of credit and it hasn't gone much below that for the last two years, that's a huge red flag. Mm. And that's when the contractor's going to get a call from the bank. And they're going to get one of two calls. The first one is if they want to keep them, hey, we just turned that $75,000 into a 12-month note. Your payments are so much per month. They start the 15th next month. Thank you very much. Click. Uh, that's if they like you. If they don't <laughs> like you, the worst scenario is there's every line of credit on the back in big letters or small. It's on every single one of them. says payment can be called upon demand. So they call the contractor and say, hey, you know, that $75,000 yours? Sure do. Uh, we'd like that paid full the 15th next month. Thank you. Click. So a line of credit is critical. They need to have one set up that's supposed to be used against a short-term borrowing against receivables, not for general purchases. I guess before you get to that red zone, that danger zone, where you realize, okay, God, I got a, I got a customer, I've got a client who's, who's going to put the screws to me. Before you even get that far, before you even accept the job or you accept a contract with somebody, is it a good idea? I mean, I was working with people who try to collect as much as possible up front, so that way if somebody does skate away that they have at least covered their, the cost of their labor and the uh, any hard goods that go into a job. 
it seems to me that's a very good idea, but I wonder what your take is on that and any other ideas you have in that regard. We recommend contractors who are doing any kind of an installation job, you know, if it's a couple thousand dollars or more than that, always get at least some deposit up front. We recommend 25 to 50% up front if you can. Now, I realize there's contractors listening to this that listen, live in uh, California or Florida or uh, Texas uh, and probably other states that have a law that says, hey, you can't get more than 10% down. But yeah. I got contractors in every one of those states who get substantially more than that. Now, so, the contractor, the customer said, hey, the law says I can't get more than 10%, fine, we'll do that. But get a percentage up front. You want that for two different reasons. Uh, one, from a cash flow perspective, you want to handle it properly so your cash flow is better. But the other one is you get a deposit up front, and uh, depending on the industry you're in, maybe it's a busy season. And you go out there and you talk to the customer, and they decide, uh, yes, we want you to do the job, and we agree to it, and then sign the contract, and then everybody's happy. And then right before you leave, so by the way, Mr. And Ms. Jones, you know, this is really busy right now. I know you'd like me to start tomorrow, but it's going to be probably two weeks before we can start your job. Is that okay? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And then you come by their house or you call them two weeks later and say, hey, we're getting ready to start the job tomorrow. What's happened? Somebody else has already done it hmm. or they're in the midst of doing it. So if you get a deposit up front, I guarantee you, customer's not going to leave you without at least a phone call in the middle of that process. So it kind of guarantees a sale in the middle of that process as well, as well as helping cash flow. Now, Tom, you had mentioned that in some states where a service provider or any company is not allowed legally to take more than a 10% deposit, and you said that you've got clients in all of those states that grab significantly more up front. Mm -hmm. How are they getting around those state laws? It's not getting around them. It's just simply asking the customer for a larger deposit. And most residential customers especially expect you to ask for a deposit up front. Mm -hmm. They really do. We don't get it because we don't ask for it. So it's not necessarily getting around the law. It's simply asking the customer to do that. And if they agree to it, great. If they don't, then we'll limit it to the 10% or whatever it happens to be. And what about business to business? You said residential customers are usually okay with the, they kind of expect some kind of a deposit to uh, to be put down. Uh, isn't that the same with uh, a B2B transaction? Uh, you're talking about commercial work and that type of thing? Yeah, yeah. That is an entirely different ballgame. It's difficult to get a deposit up front on a commercial job, and generally you're working through a general contractor, even if you're not. Those people know how to handle money for the most part, and you're going to be drawn out to 30 to 60 to 90 days payment no matter how you work it. It's just you've got to build the money into the price of the job and realize your cash flow situation ahead of time and ask yourself, am I willing to take that risk or can I live with this kind of a cash flow in the middle of it? Because commercial work is notoriously difficult in terms of collections. As we uh, kind of get to the end of our time here, Tom, I'm wondering if uh, you can kind of capsulize best ways for somebody to make sure they're going to get paid a checklist, if you will. Uh, yeah, it's kind of summarize what we're talking about. And first step is collect create that collections policy and make sure everybody in your organization understands it and they go by it. You know, when you're not paid on time, when does the notice go out, when do the phone calls begin, et cetera. And even before that, it's being crystal clear with the customer up front how you want to be paid. Uh, just tell them we want this much deposit down, we expect to be paid in full at the end of the job or whatever terms you're going to have. You know, those ones I recommend in the middle of the process. And then when the job is complete, just remind them, hey, we agreed to this et cetera, even write it in the contract, you know, what your terms are. Uh, spell it out so the people understand that. And another little tip in the middle of that thing is it's not 
unusual for contractors to charge, you know, maybe two percent of the job or a late fee of twenty five or fifty dollars on the job if it's not paid on time. But if you're going to do that, it has to appear on the original invoice when it goes out. You cannot uh, send them free late notices and then charge them a late fee. It's illegal. Mm. So if you're going to do that, it needs to appear on the original invoice when you go out. And then the bottom line is follow-up, follow-up, follow-up. It's a squeaky wheel. Uh, if you don't follow, they're not going to get paid, especially if they got X amount of money up here and they got bills that are more than that. Who's going to get paid? It's a guy who keeps on calling. As we uh, get set to close, is there something that I haven't covered that uh, is a burning issue with you on this topic that you want to make sure is burned in people's minds? <laughs> well, yeah, there is one thing, and it it it's so obvious that I ignored it for probably 20 years until the guy I worked with started asking the question in the seminar. When contractors don't collect at the end of the job, they generally send an invoice. That makes sense, okay? Mm-hmm. What I was unaware of is the huge number of contractors, huge number of contractors, who send out the original invoice but never, ever, ever send a follow-up statement or a reminder. They just kind of assume the customer is going to get around to paying it one day. So, again, it comes back to having a system and following up on everything that you do, the squeaky wheel thing. That is an unusual thing. You would think uh, your money is going to have a a level of significance in your life, and you're going to make sure that it's (laughs) going to be coming in. Listen, we we all have made our... uh, our errors and judgment, especially early in business, is sometimes as you wise up, as you get a little bit older and you get a little further into the process, you shake your head at the way you you seemingly almost mm-hmm. made money in spite of yourself because of the way you handled yeah. things. But uh, Tom, yeah, we've all I, done that, right, right. The website is grandiassociates.com. You've got a whole bunch of, uh, of resources there that folks can utilize. Mm-hmm. Tom, I appreciate your time and having you on as a guest, and hopefully we can chat again sometime. It's it's good to talk to somebody with, uh, with your knowledge and your expertise. Well, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to share with you and your contractors, and hopefully some of the information will be of benefit to them. Thanks again, Tom Grandy of Grandy & Associates. And we have a summary of some of Tom's points about how you can make sure that your cash flow is right on target and how to handle the payments and spell things out. A summary is available for download at our website at streetsavvymarketer.com. That's streetsavvymarketer.com. Look for episode number 103. Click on that summary of the episode and you will find the download bar where you can catch that document. And I believe it's going to be worth your while. Streetsavvymarketer.com. Hey, in our next episode, we've got a guy who knew early on what he wanted to do and has been a success for more than six decades. We will hear all about him and his success. A little teaser, if you will, of what's to come on the next episode of the Street Savvy Marketer podcast in just seconds. This is the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Hey friends, it's Jim Raposa. I gotta ask you something. Are you trying to sell your old car? What a hassle. Instead, donate your vehicle to Heritage for the Blind. Pickup is free and your donation is tax deductible. 
We love hearing that in the month of April. Just call 1-800-605-5608. Heritage for the Blind accepts cars, vans, trucks, and boats, whether they run or not. Oh, and call right now and you'll receive a free three-day vacation voucher to over 50 locations. The number, 1-800-605-5608. Donate your car today. That's 1-800-605-5608. Is the Street Savvy Marketer. Jim Raposa. Tis me, your humble host here on the Street Savvy Marketer podcast, Jim Raposa. Hey, don't forget, go to our website, streetsavvymarketer.com. You can pick up the summary of some of the things that Tom Grandy was talking about on this episode, episode 103. Just click the show notes and you will find the download section for that document with the summary hey next time around and it may seem kind of funny to have this guy on as a guest on a business and marketing podcast but it'll make all the sense in the world after you hear the interview Uh, you know his voice you know his hit songs chances are it's not for me to say misty too much too little too late talking about johnny mathis now johnny is perfect as a guest for this show because Well, he knew from an early age what he wanted to do and how to focus on success. And more importantly, how to surround himself with people who would help him achieve that success. I was signed to Columbia Records by a man by the name of George Avakian, and then he introduced me to Mitch Miller, who was in charge of popular music at Columbia. And immediately uh, took to Mitch because he had had so much to do with people like Rosemary Clooney and Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and and I was uh, looking for some sort of direction, which was very important to me. I didn't quite know what I wanted to do. I, I was able to do vocally a lot of stuff, but it had no focus. Mm-hmm. And Mitch got that from me. He steered me in a direction that was comfortable vocally for me, and I could focus on it. The legendary Johnny Mathis, our guest on episode 104 of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. But that's it for this edition of the Street Savvy Marketer Podcast. Don't forget, we are available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn.com. You can also uh, email me if you go to our website at streetsavvymarketer.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Jim Raposa, J-I-M-R-A-P-O-S-A, and the number one, at Jim Raposa one on Twitter. Hey, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next time around. I'm Jim Raposa. So long. You've been listening to the Street Savvy Marketer podcast. For more on this and previous episodes, go to streetsavvymarketer.com. Tell a friend about us. Thanks for listening. A presentation of Raposa Media. Raposa.